This episode is brought to you by Push Messaging God's Urban Airship. They can be found at urbanairship.com and by ThinkNear. Their location score platform delivers the most accurate location targeting available on mobile. Visit them at locationscore.com. Now, on to the show. Everybody and welcome to Untethered.tv. I'm your host and founder, Rob Woodbridge, the padlock. You know, I go to the gym every single day and I have this little padlock that I put onto the locker and I, you know, give it three numbers, left, right, left. We all know how to use a padlock. So what would inspire somebody to reinvent the padlock? It's not something that I think about at all, but when I saw this product, my mouth started to water and I'm a meathead and I loved it and I needed to get my hands on it and I want to get my hands on it and I can't wait for you to see what I'm talking about. But there's a backstory here. There's a whole bunch of information that went into the development of this product, including a very successful Kickstarter campaign. I'm going to bring in right now Cameron Gibbs, who is the co-founder of a company called Fuse Design. They are the maker of my newest obsession, the Noki. Cameron, man, thank you for coming on to Untether.tv to talk about your company and your product. Congratulations on the uh, Kickstarter, by the way. Welcome. Thank you, Rob. Uh, thanks for having us on. Uh, you know, it's it's truly a pleasure and uh, look forward to having a conversation about uh, our products and our business. Yeah, well, I uh, I am too, because I, I, I need to understand the inspiration for doing uh, something like the Noki. Um, but we were talking beforehand, you you are in Draper, Utah, which is kind of near-ish to Salt Lake City, right? Near-ish. Um, and you also said that you're a, uh, you're a Southern California born guy, right? So you're born in Southern California, you're living in Draper, you're building something that I think is really cool that, that blends uh, Bluetooth and uh, smartphones and technology and proximity technology and all that kind of stuff. Um, why aren't you in California? <laughs> Shouldn't you be there? Well, yeah, you know, I, I ask myself that almost every day. Um, really, I uh, moved to Utah to go to school, and I had a great job at the time, and so, and I and I enjoy the community here. I enjoy uh, what Utah has to offer. So uh, it's a great outdoor state. You know, there's lots of activities, whether it's skiing in the winter or you know biking in the summer. Um, and there's lots of outdoor activities, uh, and it's just, it's a great place to raise a family. I'm a husband and father and, uh, you know, the, the values here are, are values that I, uh, appreciate. And so it's, it's just a, it's a great place to be. Um, California certainly is a wonderful place to be and it has its ups, for, uh, its positives for sure. Um, and you know, I think, you could say that Utah is also uh, a great place uh, to start a business. Um, actually, I read something yesterday about how Utah has been like the number one place to start a business uh, for the last several years. Uh, you know, voted by Forbes. It's a it's a great it's the, like the top state to find a job. Our unemployment rate's really low. Um, some people refer to the Salt Lake and Utah County areas as the Silicon Slopes. There's a <laughs> lot of software development that happens here. Adobe's here, eBay's here, Microsoft's here. Um, 
and you've got uh, uh, well, I can't remember the Micron is here. Um, so there's there's uh, just and lots of startup companies are, are here and, and have have had a, a lot of success. Uh, there are several colleges here, um, and IT and software are, are big programs in these colleges, and so it's a great place to find engineers that may not be quite as expensive as they are in, uh, in Silicon Valley. <laughs> that's that's one of the big advantages, obviously, as well, is that it's not inflated. And if you look, I've got the reflection. If you're not watching this episode, you, you will have to just picture it in your mind. I've got the reflection of the window of the outside of Cameron. It's behind him, and it's, it's just, it's exactly as you would picture it, like big puffy white clouds, sunshine. Is that a mountain in the distance that I see as well? It's just, it looks amazing. So I can understand the quality of life as well. Um, but speaking of startups, you've got one, uh, Fuse Designs, F-U-Z Designs. Uh, talk about what you guys do there. And then I want to I want to dive into uh, this brilliant thing called the uh, the Nokia. I can't believe I'm saying that about a lock, but I'm, I'm so fascinated <laughs> by this. But so Fuse Designs, who are you? What are you? So let me give you a little history sure. of who we are. Um, first of all, we've been around for just a year. Uh, we launched our first Kickstarter project on September 17th of 2013. Uh, today's the 23rd, so uh, we're barely a year old. Um, and uh, it was, was co-founded by David Gangler and I. Um, and David and I used to work at Zag. Uh, we, Zag is a manufacturer of mobile accessories. Uh, they're known for Invisible Shield, the, the screen protector. Yep. And they're also known for a product uh, that originally was called Z the Zagmate, which is a keyboard for the iPad. And that's kind of where David and I, David and my story starts. Um, I was over product development at Zag at the time. And David was somewhat in the business. And he actually had come up with this idea for a keyboard for the iPad which wasn't just a keyboard, it was a keyboard, a stand, and a case all in one. And he had done this all on his own just after the iPad had launched in, uh, in 2010. Well, David you know, came to Zag and I was the first person he met with there. And he showed off his prototype that he had made and I just absolutely loved it. He was, trying, he was trying to get you guys to manufacture and, and he wanted to license it to you guys? He, he wanted to partner with us in one way or another. Uh, the I think what he had in mind was us be, being a reseller of it, and he would manufacture it. We loved it so much, um, and we also loved David so much and, and what, he, uh, what he would bring to the company that we decided uh, that we you know would make him an offer to acquire the product from him, give him employment, and you know, it, it, and he accepted and he came on board and eventually he was, uh, he was over product development there, um, as I managed the product management team. And, uh, so we worked together for a few years there and uh, eventually things happened. Uh, we had an acquisition and we made an acquisition of another company. We got a new CEO and the direction of the company was just going in a direction that we didn't appreciate. Um, and so eventually we we left the company and, and started Fuse Designs. And that was last year. Um, we've also brought on Arthur Healy as our industrial designer, uh, who also worked at Zag. 
and he he does all of our design, graphic design, industrial design, uh, packaging, etc. And so there's a there's a, that's pretty much the core of our team at this point, and uh, we're growing. Uh, as our revenues grow, we need to bring in more high more people and uh, bring in more expertise in other areas. And so, um, you know, we we started this and we wanted to start with something simple. You know, we had experience making Bluetooth keyboards, power products, speaker products while we were working at Zag. Um, and we wanted to just kind of get the, the ball rolling, start with something simple like a charging dock. And that's when we launched our first campaign back in September um, of last year. And it was called EverDock, uh, a universal charging dock for smartphones and tablets. Um, and we were blown away by the reception we had from it. And, uh, you know, since then, we knew we were going to be a, a business that, would, uh, that wouldn't go away too easily. <laughs> So, I mean, you guys did the Kickstarter a year ago uh, for that, uh, and and you put the product out to market. How, how, what's the response been? What was the response to the Kickstarter for that? So we did a 30-day campaign. Yeah. We uh, raised over $450,000. And what's really, what we take a lot of pride in is how quickly we delivered that product. The, the campaign ended on October 17th. And we had already shipped all to all of our backers by Christmas. So in less than in just a, just over two months, we had take t- taken the the funding and manufactured the product, air freighted it over from China, shipped it to all of our backers. You know, basically the week before Christmas, um, and you know we had over ten thousand units that we just turned around just like that. And, you know, that's kind of how we roll here. How did you do, when, how did you do that? I mean, you know, I've talked to a lot of guys, a lot of companies that have gone through this process and the stories from the founders are so, and you, you've heard it because you've gone through this and, you know, we were, um, you know, up all night, dying things in our, in our, you know, in my apartment, in, in the bathtub, or I was, you know, we all had soldering irons and we were all soldering the boards and the chips. And then we were packaging and crossing our fingers and shipping and hoping it worked. And, you know, um, but you seem very calm, right? You guys step out of the company <laughs> and you start this and you find a product that obviously hit a big, uh, a big, uh, enough audience. You raise $450,000. And then within two months, Everybody of the of the campaign, everybody has the product that that was the original backers, and you say it so nonchalantly. And I know that people are listening to this, pulling their hair out, saying, "What? Like I've been up for seventy seven hours shipping." So, I mean, how how does that happen? So the short answer is <laughs> we we've been doing this for years now, and and we so we kind of know what we're doing. Um, the longer answer, um, and I guess part of the short answer is we also have relationships with factories in China. Gotcha. And those two things are huge. They're just massive. You, you can't just pick those things, either of those things up overnight. Um, and so, you know, those, and, and then I think if I would add one more thing, I think David, he's the one that uh, designed the EverDoc. He's not an industrial designer, but it was his design, um, and he's uh, he's a really sharp, sharp guy. Uh, he, you know, designed it, and he also is able to see and understand all of the manufacturing, all of the different uh, design that had to go into it. Uh, you know, from you know just the shape 
to the weight, to the materials, to, uh, you know, what it was going to take to do everything and to do it in such a short time. Because mm-hmm. there's, there's a million different ways to manufacture things. And so uh, what we did was we kind of had things rolling before we launched our Kickstarter campaign. I think it's one of the easiest ways to describe it is, uh, you know, how other Kickstarter campaigns work and how we worked. First of all, uh, we had already had a solid prototype by the time we launched. We we made very minor tweaks to our design after launching, but uh, and that was because we were able to do it through Kickstarter and get feedback immediately before we had gone to production. So that's one of the beauties of Kickstarter is you're able to take feedback and immediately implement it. Whereas in traditional um, product development, product launch, once the product is launched, you can't go and make changes to it until Gen 2. Uh, so we were able to implement some minor tweaks to it. Um, and and some of them actually came after the fact where we were able to, uh, you know, provide a, a new adapter and provide a new thinner silicone for thin cases. So it was easy to, uh, to just send out a, a, a follow-up part that made it work perfectly for people that it didn't work perfectly initially. Um, and it, that in of itself, by the way, was was like a Kickstarter campaign for others, just being able to tool apart and ship it uh, so quickly. So, uh, you know, I think that was one of the differences. Uh, another difference is we started production a week into the campaign. We started the tooling. We started ordering the materials. We weren't going to wait until the campaign was over. We already knew uh, it was a success and, you know, we, we had to have the money and, and we were able to get the money to do that. Um, we didn't have to wait for the Kickstarter campaign to end. So we're always thinking, trying to get a head start as early as possible on everything we do um, so that we're ahead of the game. Um, and I, I, you know, I think those are some of the key differences between us and uh, other Kickstarter campaigns. You know, I, I love it. The, what you said earlier is that you've done this before. You have the relationships. So you understand the intricacies of like the simple things, like what can and can't be done and what should and shouldn't be done and what can be done but will take a year to get done, right? So you understand the molds to use, the manufacturers. So you can shape or let me ask you, like, do you shape your product based on that? You say, you know, here's our ideal product. But here's what can be done quickly. So we'll go with this version versus the, you know, the big, big, big ideal version. Do you do you shape your product based on what you know can and can't be done? Absolutely. Yeah. You just have to do it that way. Um, and I think that's that's one of the things that others may run into is they don't understand. They don't know that what they're designing. Yeah, you can make one handmade sample of it. But can that be mass produced? Right. So key. I mean, that, that's that's a huge, huge part uh, of what a huge difference. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that that's true because I've seen a lot of Kickstarter uh, campaigns, which are which sound amazing. But then they run into glitch after glitch. Like I think I think of the pebble, right, where, where it's like this. If you can deliver this, this is a, at least it sounded amazing at the time. And maybe till you saw the Apple Watch, but it, it was amazing. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, then we have to actually we got $11 million worth of pre-orders. Now we have to ship them. And then it's it's mayhem to be able to mass ship something of that complexity. So, I, I mean, I like that, the, the simplicity. I'm not saying that the product was simplicity, but understanding what can be done in that period of time so that you, you actually set yourself up properly. 
Correct. And, you know, we wanted to actually manufacture in the U.S. Uh, we thought that would have been awesome. And, you know, that's uh, that's something we value. That's something a lot of backers value is, Absolutely. you know, bringing employment here um, and, and all the benefits that go with it. But unfortunately, most of the stuff that you need to manufacture a product is overseas. <laughs> and so you're going to end up bringing everything from overseas to make it here anyway. Um, and, and so it's, uh, it's just the realities of the situation really just make it very difficult to, to do things here. And I think that's another thing that others may not realize is, you know, when you're working with someone that's on the other side of the world, that speaks another language that's in a completely different time zone, the exact opposite of ours, you know, it's going to be hard to get things done quickly. And so um, you have to be on it. You can't just have like a day turnaround every time you have a question. You, you need to be working the late hours. You need to be, um, you know, just constantly in contact with your partners overseas and and flying over there and, and being with them face to face. And, uh, it, you know, it, whenever we always joke that we'd get more done in two days in, in, in meetings over two days than we would in an entire month, you know, of being on the other side of the world yeah. where everything was over phone and email. Were you ever worried? Um, and, and, uh, I mean, this is a common question that you must get with, I mean, were you ever worried about them taking designs or this designs kind of disappearing off the shelf and, and having replications made of, uh, of your product? Were you ever worried about copyright or infringement? Yeah, you, you certainly have to worry about that. Uh, we and so you have to have a lot of trust in your partner. What um, what is might be more common than your own manufacturer partner, you know, selling units out the back door, is just the nature of China seeing the success of a product and them just making it, duplicating it on their own, um, rather than your own manufacturer making units and selling them out the back door. Right. Um, fortunately, I, I think specifically with our first product and really all of the products we've launched, um, what uh, we haven't had anyone rip us off. And, and the reason being is it's not easy to duplicate what we've done. There's a lot that goes into uh, a product, even as simple as a charging dock. Um, you know, we, we made a premium one. We made it out of aluminum, which you extrude and then you CNC and then you bead blast and anodize and you've got all the parts. You've got the silicone parts, the, the uh, plastic adapters, the cables, the microsection, uh, all of the packaging. It's a lot of work to bring all of that together into a product. And it's not cheap, um, which is why our product doesn't sell for 10 or 20 bucks. It's, it's, a, it's a premium product. It, it's, it was designed to you know, sit next to your MacBook um, and to go with your iPhone. So it just had to look awesome. And, and so I, I think that's where we differentiate ourselves is we make something that isn't just off the shelf. We make something unique that is difficult for others to duplicate. I, I that's one of the big questions that I have is that, uh, you know, you, you're, 
charging a premium, you're going after uh, premium buyers here. And, and it, you know, it's the same thing with a Nokia because, you know, I can go out and get a padlock for $5 uh, or I can spend 85 or 90 or $95 for the, for the Nokia. How, how do you, like, is that a risk to go after the up, uh, up market like that? And, and how do you know what the right price is and write the, you know, write the balance between price and value is for, for your customer base? Yeah. You know, it, it's always a risk and whenever we launch a product, we're not sure what, the reception is going to be. We do get some feedback from friends and family um, and others in the industry. And, you know, the, the feedback we got on Noki was really positive. And so we knew we, we had a home run before we launched it. Um, and, but you don't know about pricing, you know, the people we're talking to, you know, they're, they're people that may not want to hurt our feelings and, you know, they, they're not the ones forking over the money to get it at least not at the time. And so, um, yeah, you, you, you don't know, but that's the beauty of Kickstarter. You know, if, if, um, the, if the pricing isn't there, if the, if the demand isn't there, then you know what, you saved yourself a lot of time in finishing out the development, manufacturing, um, you know, and all that time and money that you would have spent on it. Uh, traditionally, you know, that it was a lot riskier to go and make them, have them shipped over here, uh, spend months and months getting it ready, taking it to retail to then find out whether or not people will actually buy it. It's Can you uh, imagine it's, that. Yeah, completely uh, flip things around. It's it's uh, it's amazing how you can try things out. I mean, it, there was still a opportunity cost for us to, to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's, we spent months developing it. Um, and so there, you know, we spent money and time doing that, but um, we could have spent a lot more, a heck of a lot more had we actually taken it to, to market in, in the traditional format. So um, I, I think that's, that's really one of the things that we, that we had, uh, you know, considered and you have to always consider whenever you make a product um, regarding the pricing given our experience with Zag and, and retail, we kind of know where pricing needs to be for retail and distributors and reps to make their margins for us to make our margin where we can support our business, grow our business, make good profits, and uh, also be able to price it in a way right where the customer will actually buy it. You know, you 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 can compare Noki to padlocks like you uh, mentioned that are you know ten fifteen dollars. There are padlocks that cost sixty dollars. You know, depending on what you're looking for, or even more than that. Um, but you know, you can also compare it to Kivo. It's virtually the same functionality. Kivo's a Bluetooth deadbolt, yeah, lock. Yeah. Um, and it retails for $220. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, when you compare it to that, it's it's a bargain. Um, and the value you get out of Noki versus a traditional padlock is you don't have to hassle with uh, lost keys, forgotten combinations. You also are able to share access without having to loan out a key and get it back. It, you're, you're able to just do it with the tap of a button and instantly that other person has access to the padlock. So for businesses sharing lockers, for bike sharing, uh, you know, for a husband and a wife sharing keys, it's so much easier. 
And, you know, since launching this campaign, we've, we've realized 10 years from now, we're just not going to be using keys anymore. We don't use them for our cars. We don't use them to get in the car. We're not using them to start the car anymore. You just push a button. And once it seems like such a simple thing, but once you've had that, there is no going back. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's why. I mean, I I love I love it. Um, simply for for that reason. But I'm I'm I got one last question about the, the original uh, Kickstarter. Not not for the Nokia, but uh, you know, you raised four hundred fifty thousand dollars, and then you raised six hundred and fifty. Or raised. It's a wrong term. I said you. Pre, it's pre-orders, right? It's exactly. it's backers. Right. So it's four hundred fifty thousand dollars for the product the first time, and then and then for the Nokia, it's six hundred fifty thousand. You've done one point one million dollars in a year, really, uh, uh, for Kickstarter and pre-orders. Um. With that original four hundred fifty thousand dollars, do you? I don't know if you can answer this, but I'm hoping you can. Do you make money off of that four hundred? Is the goal to make money off of that four hundred fifty thousand dollars, or is it to get the product out and then to build a, a solid base and then, uh, you know, sell more chargers, or then be able to launch like you did the second uh, Kickstarter at and and be able to get more backers early on? You know, can you answer that question. Yeah, I can, and it really depends on how you define making money. You know, yeah. we, we were able to pay the bills and we were able to pay ourselves. Not lose money? Reasonable that... salary. Yeah, we, we didn't yeah. lose any money on it. Yeah, we're, we're not doing this as a charitable effort. And we're not doing this just to, you know, do the break even. Pooling, you know, yeah. Yeah, or to break even. We're, you know, we're starting a business. And, and that's probably another differentiator between us and others uh, launching on Kickstarter is, you know, it's not a project for us. It's a business. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we knew that there was going to be a follow-up to the original one. And we were, knew that we were going to be doing other accessories. That's really where our passion lies is finding problems, finding solutions, you know, a, a creative solution and design, making it look absolutely beautiful and attractive. We love doing that. We don't like making products that are just functional. We like making products that you look at and just go, that is so cool. You take our padlock and put it next to, you know, a padlock. There's no comparison. Store. There, yeah, there's just no comparison. No. Um, and same with our dock. There's no comparison between our dock and, and a plastic dock that you can buy it online at, on Amazon or Best Buy or whatever. Uh, we, we, we love making beautiful things. Um, and so, yeah, you know, we... Uh, we we were able to 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 pay ourselves uh, we could have taken a profit we could have just you know taken that money out and said you know let's let's just uh be really comfortable and and take this money and and uh and just try and make a business out of this one product but that wasn't what we had in mind we took that money and we invested it we invested in two ways we invested it in the development of future products mm -hmm. and we also invested in our customers we spent a lot of money shipping our product via air from China to the U.S. to ship it to our backers and to our international customers in order to deliver on time to keep them happy. We we FedExed to our customers in Europe, Asia, all across the globe, and and they absolutely love us now. And that's a very key thing when you're starting your business is you have to take care of your customers because you know what? You're going to want them to come back and buy your next product. And so we, we, um, we weren't shy to make those investments. You know, I, it, it, do you find that the bar now 
Oh, we're way off topic here, but I'm so fascinated by this because everything that you've said is, is so um, is 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 not just a philosophy. Like you, as a business, believe it or you don't, right? And 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 I, I made a comment before we started recording that this kind of openness of this generation of founder and co-founder and CEO and entrepreneur is amazing to me, right? Where I say I always ask for those who don't know. I always ask, is there a question you don't want to talk about? Is there something that you don't want me to bring up so that it's just, let's leave it alone? Because that's not what these interviews are about. And and everyone, and you're included in this, Cameron, where you say, listen, no, we're, we're open. We, we're willing to have these conversations. Um, but do you think that the, the bar is so high now for, and I, I mean this, I don't mean this tongue in cheek, but I'm really interested for customer service, right? So the expectations are so high now that you've already invested in the customer service, but do you think that that the bar is so high to keep your customers happy? We, the finicky consumer, um, do you think any company can continuously satisfy that that or reach that level that you guys have already achieved? Absolutely, it's doable, you're right. It is- um, very high. It's, it, the bar is high, you know, and a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, companies like, Amazon and Apple and, you know, free shipping and taking care of the customer no matter what. Um, and, you know, we, we, we do that. We've, um, when, when people email us with, Hey, you know, I lost my part to the Everdoc that, that silicone piece you sent me, we just ship it to them. You know, it's just, you take care of them because, you know, what's the cost? There's a little bit of cost. It's probably more cost and time than anything else. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's so critical without them. And I know it's cliche to say this, you know, we just wouldn't exist. And so you, you really have to do that. And you know what, it's not as, it's not as hard as it used to be though, either. We don't have to pay for an 800 telephone number that people would call and, and we don't have to employ people to answer phone calls day and night. Um, you know, we have thousands and thousands of backers and customers, tens of thousands, really. And, you know, we, we don't get that many phone calls. Why? Because the internet exists and because people use email. And so we can answer. It's so easy to take care of your customers. If you look at our, our campaigns, which has everything public, uh, the comments uh, and our updates and everything, we don't waste time. If someone replies to or makes a comment, we don't just check our email once a day or once a week and post comments once a day or once a week, we just get back to them because, because we can. Um, and, and so we, we make an investment in that. Um, and, and we're still able to develop and we're still able to, you know, come up with great product ideas and we're able to work with our manufacturers and we're able to ship and order and all that stuff that you, that you have to do. Because uh, in a small business like this, you just have to wear a lot of hats. Um, eventually, you know, as we grow, we're going to specialize and have customer support people that are, you know, aware of everything and, and can um, can answer all those questions. But I think that's so critical. And and if you look at the comment sections, people just love our customer support. They're blown away with how fast we are, with how responsive, how how we take care of them and, and how knowledgeable we are. And that's, it's just, it's, it's that critical. And so back to your original point, it is a little bit difficult. You have to be really well-rounded these days. You can't just be like, like a developer or you can't obviously just be like someone that can talk. You kind of have to know both things. 
you, you kind of have to be able to communicate and you have to be able to understand the, the technicalities of your product. Um, and, you know, I think that society is just raising people like that. You know, we, our kids have smartphones when they're 10 and we just, that's just, you just have to be wired that way these days. I, I completely agree, and I, and I love the way that you guys approach this. You know, you're right. Customer service is 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 with intent, right? And it's not just a byproduct of being successful. It is intent, and that's the difference between good customer service and and what I see in many restaurants and hotels because their legacy, the, you know, the intent is the room. The customer service is a byproduct, and and what, no, it's the other way around. Customer service is the intent. The room is almost the byproduct because you want people to come back. And did that have an impact as we move into the Noki? Did that have an impact on, I mean, when you went out with the Noki, which is not really related to a charger, it's a new product, but did, did a lot of those original backers, did you bring those into the Noki? Certainly, you know, we, as soon as we, I mean, who wouldn't? When you go live, you want to let everyone know what product you just came out with. Uh, just like Apple, whenever they, they launched their new iPhone, they email everyone that's bought an iPhone or bought anything from their website. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I so, have it all. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, um, you, you certainly do do that. And that definitely has an impact, um, which is why we offer great customer service. Um, because, I mean, in a way, I guess you could call your customers partners and you want to keep them happy. Um, and so, yeah, th that is... Uh, that is something we did. We also um, got a lot of coverage on Noki. It's the world's first Bluetooth padlock. Um, and being able, making something unique, making something that, um, you know, actually hasn't been done before and and something, you know, for, for us, it was why hasn't this product existed already? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. The, the technology is there. So why doesn't it exist? And why why hasn't it been done? But so yeah. let me ask you that question. Why hadn't it been done until you did it? Now, was it because people didn't see a need? People didn't see the need? Like there's a difference, right? So it, it, why hadn't it been done to this point? I don't know. <laughs> Still to this day, because you you put it out there and in 30 days, six hundred fifty thousand pre in dollars in pre-orders. You got people looking at this thinking. What, what, what? It's a, it's, it's a lock that does that. But so walk through the inspiration. Where did this come from? Like you guys are just off your first successful product as a, as a team. And then you sit down and you think, okay, what's our next product? A padlock? Yeah. What so is that like? it, it, it kind of goes back to our history. We've uh, made millions of Bluetooth keyboards um, right. at Zach and uh, you know, it, it it was actually a business that made over a hundred million in sales in a year. So, uh, you know, we we have a lot of experience in that. Sure. Um, and you know, it, for Zag, it it basically doubled the size of their company by doing that. And that that was our team that did that at Zag. Um, so our partner that we've worked with. You know they're really good with Bluetooth, and together we, you know, we came up with this idea of a Bluetooth padlock, um, and so that's that's really the inspiration is our experience in Bluetooth, and finding a way of using Bluetooth that is it where it's it can enhance an experience and it's not doing it, 
and for us it was well you know you, you've seen kivo and, and deadbolts and stuff like that well why don't we go with something just as universal a padlock and that's kind of where we went yeah, I mean, the concept of a padlock is much easier to grasp, right? I don't have to go to my door. I don't have to take my existing lock out and replace it with this one. And then what happens if my battery, blah, 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 blah. Um, so, you know, the idea is that this, you, you know, start, did that have something to do with it? Starting at a very simple level, right? Where where it's easy. You don't have to replace anything. I don't have to take my thermostat out, I, but I just, I just have to replace the simple lock that I use. There are certainly a lot of benefits to doing a padlock versus doing a deadbolt. When you're doing a deadbolt, there's there's a little bit more that goes into it. One of them is you have to replace your existing um, deadbolt. Two is there's multiple brands of deadbolts, and you know, being being able and and they all work a little bit differently. So swapping out your existing deadbolt for a new one, it's it's and making that new one universal. That's where a lot of them are falling on their faces right now because there are several players doing that. And frankly, none of them are doing a great job. Um, they're, I think they're all having made, they are all having major delays in launching or if they've launched, they're getting tons of returns on their product. And, and it all comes down to things like uh, the, the universality and, and also the, some of them you have to let, you know, pull your phone out of your pocket to <laughs> unlock. I mean, what, what, where am I saving time when I'm doing that? And so to pull it out, launch an app, hit a, and, and tap a like open button, right? Well, exactly. That makes sense. So, you know, for us, it was, well, clearly we, we don't want people to have to pull their phone out to unlock Noki, uh, because then it's like, what, what, what's the point at that point? Um, and so it was just one of the really creative things about Noki is how it works. The battery that's put in, that's in Noki, it's a, it's a coin battery. It is not, uh, being used. Uh, it's, it's not running when Noki is not being used. It is, it's, it's not using any energy at all, any power at all. And so the, the way it works, you, you have to essentially turn it on um, in order for it to wake up. And the way you do that is you just click the shackle. You just go up and click it and immediately it turns on and it looks for the, your phone. Um, and then as soon as it sees it, it unlocks. And all that happens, you know, in the matter of less than a second. So it's that, that, you know, that's kind of back to our strength, which is coming up with a real creative way of making it work. Not just a creative product, not just a creative design, but a creative way of making it work. And and I think that we take a lot of pride in, in, in Noki and how it works. You know, I I, am, I I love that approach. I mean, I, I wear a Misfit Shine. I've tried every device I can as a wearable device. And uh, the problem with it is that they haven't invented the universal battery that works all the time without plugging it in. I have to take the device off and plug it in. This thing lasts for three months on a lithium ion battery, right? The same thing, right? A, a watch battery. And uh, I've, I set and forget, right? And I think that the simplicity of what you've done, but a lot of design and effort went into making it this. They sacrificed features and functions. There's no vibration. There's no notifications. There's no, you know, fireworks that come out of it. It does what it says it's going to do. Um, and that's why I like about what it is that, that you guys are, are doing here. And, you know, 
when I talked to Sonny Vu, who created this, he, he the same philosophy, right? Which is you have to understand the parameters with which you're you're in. Like if we want 90 day battery power for this, there's no vibrations, right? So we put it on the side. And the same thing that sounds like that is that if you nobody's invented the perfect battery yet, and instead of you guys doing that, you just take what you have and you optimize for it. So walk us through that process where you you look at the a, a lock here and you look at your ideal product. Do you put all the the like I don't know. The, the potential limitations on a, on a big board and then like walk through them and then come up with a solution. It, it, I mean, walk through your process when it, when it comes to deciding how to build this product and overcome the limitations like battery, like my phone's dead, those kind of things that you've done. You know, I think you kind of described oh, well, yeah. it already in that it's a process. You're not going to figure it all out just once you have the idea. Because you'll have the idea and then you'll run into some snag and go, okay, how do we get through this snag? And then you, well, why don't we do this? You know, and, and, and it's, and that's why it takes more than just a few days, a week or a few weeks to design the product. Um, you can maybe, you know, do the industrial design in that time that that's that, that you can knock out pretty quickly, but how it works and the snags you run into and it it just takes time. And and so I, I guess that's the best way of answering that question is, you know, we've, we, we, there are, you know, we've designed Noki about 95%. There's still 5% left to design. And that 5% though is the hardest, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, like sharing a key with, with the user, how do we authenticate it where it can't be hacked? Um, and well, our ideas make it so that it, you know, has to check with the the server to verify that they have access to it. So it's it's not relying on some code that's on their device that can be, you know, manipulated in some way, shape, or form. And so you know, there's and and, and but then that introduces the problem. Well, what if they don't have a network connection on their phone when they're trying to unlock it? Well, then that's when we came up with the quick click technology, you know, and so right. you just constantly have to create solutions to all these problems uh, or, or potential problems that you may have along the way. Um, so, it, you know, it, it'd be nice to say you just put it up on a board and you you figure it all <laughs> out. It just it doesn't really happen that way. It just it's it's something it's it's a process where you're just learning step by step. And and that's I, and that that's how we were able to even a product as simple as the EverDoc, you know, we we still wanted to make improvements to it. And and that's really why products have a Gen 2 is because, uh, you know, it, it's you can't put everything into the first gen of the product or else it'll never launch. Um, you know, I actually uh, read or saw an interview that um, Tony Fidel, the yes. Nest inv inventor, did. It was a pretty fascinating interview where he uh, talked about how you never make money on the first gen of a product. It just doesn't happen, <laughs> you know. And so, uh, you know, maybe you'll break even on it, but there's so much cost into developing a product and taking it to market that you really don't make money until the second generation of it. Um, and I think that's more true with products that are more complex or products that are accessory accessories that are simple, like our Everdock, you know, there's no reason why you couldn't make money on the, on the, on the first gen of that product. Yeah. 
I, and I think that that's, I mean, if it satisfies an immediate need, right, like a like a phone case, right, there's no reason why you can't. If you do a great job with a phone case, like the Mophie uh, battery char- charger, right, like that's a big problem. They made a lot of money the first time out, right? It was just, even if it, if it boosted battery, uh, you know, use by 50%. And then there's some, some like the charger as well. But the, the lock, you can understand that. Um, but you're now not only a hardware company. I think, like, it's interesting because you went from something like a charger, which was hardware, and then you went into the padlock, which has this great complement, which is a necessity, which is software as well, right? So you went from hardware into a software and hardware company as well, because you have to build the app that does all the, the smarts, right? So whatever negotiates between the lock and the device and then the device in the cloud or, you know, the, the sharing component. What was that like all of a sudden now having to create this software piece, which is front facing, consumer facing software? And trying to create that experience, the same experience uh, on the software side. You know, uh, I guess we I, we can credit that to uh, how naive we can be sometimes. <laughs> I love that. The distortion field that we have going. Um, there really is no challenge that's too big, um, and you know, we we love doing new things and bold things. We've got we've got a product idea that is far more bold than. Uh, the the Noki, um, and it's it's going to require a lot of that as well, uh, both you know mechanical, industrial, um, and electrical, uh, software, robotics, all that stuff is is going into it. And so is this a drone like, play here? Are we uh, you know <laughs> it's actually a medical product. Um, wow! But you know it, it's it given that we are where we are. There's a lot of software engineering firms and um, people, you know, and, and we're bringing. We've we've already added another person to our team. We're we're going to be adding more to help with app development and all the back end uh, for for Noki. Uh, it's really it's almost you know become developing software has almost become like an automatic thing that you just have to be able to do to survive. Uh, nice. The 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 space of consumer products. You can't just be hardware. You have to be smart too. Well, how how many? I mean, do you have? I don't. I don't even know if you can answer this because it. Uh, do you have a do you have a strategy for product rollout? Like, do you guys think um, that? I mean, because I, you go from a, a a charger to a lock and to a medical device, maybe. I mean, do you have a strategy for that, or is it just? Are you looking for opportunities? You're looking for holes in the market that you're going to then capitalize on, uh, and and then just build the products that you think that there's a market for, or do you have a, a you know a a thought process that goes into a strategy that you're in this business, you're going after this type of uh, customer? Yeah, our strategy is that our strategy can always change. <laughs> It's good. So, it has to be, I think. Yeah. And you, you just really, you do, you have to be able to adapt. And so, you know, we do have a roadmap of what, yeah. what we will likely do and we know we can do. And, and in some cases we must do. Um, but that roadmap is, is, is written in pencil, you know? And so <laughs> um, it, it's, there's, there's just too many opportunities. Um, and, and that's the challenge we have. We have way more ideas than we have time. And so it's just a matter of prioritizing them, doing what makes most sense. Um, I, I'd like to say there's some, you know, magic formula for, you know, deciding what product we're going to do next. But it really, it just, 
it all comes down to uh, you know what's happening in your business. We've had some major retailers reach out to us since launching Noki. We've had over 200 uh, international distributors, retailers reach out to us wanting to carry our product. And that's going to change your strategy a little bit when you have that much success. And so, Slightly. yeah. And so it's, it, it's just, it's constantly evolving. And then when you have someone wanting to come in and acquire you, that's going to change your business model as well. So, you know, it, all any, anything could, we could be anywhere doing anything six months from now. Yeah. I love that. All right. My last, I mean, and it's so, and it's so true. I mean, like a lot of people, uh, you know, spend their whole life, Cameron, looking for the Noki product, right? Where you have that kind of people inbound saying, I want, I want, I want, right? And and uh, and they build products and, and, and those companies would, would look at this and say, we're only going to do a, a line of, you know, Bluetooth enabled locks. That's all we're going to do. We're going to give up everything else because this is a niche that we've found. And it sounds like you guys are still in that. Um, this is a huge opportunity and it could be a company unto itself. But you, you you look at the world and you think, wow, there are so many big opportunities. And the Nokia is just one small opportunity or one step towards something that's that's grander. And I, and I think that, that I, I love that. And it's the inventor in you that I just I'm so fascinated with. Um, there was a thousand things we didn't talk about, but I have to ask this question. I, I, really, I was going to remember I, I was I wanted to know about your partnership. I wanted to know. But but it always happens with these conversations. And as I said, I can monopolize your entire day and I don't want to do that. I'm, we're already over time. But what about like, how do you, can you give a sense of last question? How did you market this? Like, how did you, you know, raising 1.1, not raising, finding backers to give you $1.1 million on Kickstarter. I'm not, raising is not the right, $1.1 million. That requires a massive network. You hit a mark with a product, but even hitting a mark with a product, and I've seen some Kickstarters hit marks with products and still not do what you've done. Uh, you know, did you have the largest, uh, you know, LinkedIn network? Do you have a million followers on Twitter? Do you have this access to this pool of people? How in the hell did you do that based on, uh, you know, leaving one company and starting your own? Uh, you know, because that's a lot of money and it requires a lot of backers. Well, you know, it's it's a good question. And I wish... I knew. <laughs> <laughs> you can't um, replicate it. Yeah, it is. It's difficult because we'll launch one product. Take, for example, the coolest cooler on Kickstarter. You've yeah. seen that, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He launched it a year before, didn't reach its funding goal, raised, yeah. you know, not even $100,000 or barely over it, but it was didn't reach his funding goal. And, you know, he ended up launching it nine months later or something like that. He attributed it, from what I hear, to the season. Uh, he had launched it during the middle <laughs> of winter. winter or something like nice. that the first time. And and then the, the next time he launched it, uh, in, you know, uh, during the summer or tailgating. I, I think he launched it like the end of the summer, something like that. Um, and that was for him the difference. Uh, and, and that I'm sure there is a lot of truth to that, the timing of it, but also it's, it's really just a matter of, uh, for us. And I think for a lot of them, especially in kickst on Kickstarter, it's coverage and getting that coverage. And it's never a sure thing. It's, it depends on what's happening in the world, what's happening with the blogs you're reaching out to, you know, we reach out to tech blogs. Um, and if other tech companies are, you know, making some big splash or big news, 
then, you know, you may not get that coverage you were hoping for. So it's a bit of a crapshoot. Um, but, you know, we, I think if you could attribute it to one thing, it really comes down to your product and whether or not it's creative, unique, and whether or not people actually give a crap about it, <laughs> whether they really care about it or not. Um, and so, you know, you may have great marketing, great connections, but if your product just isn't something Sucks. people care about, then nothing's going to happen with it. So you need to have it. The primary thing is, is your product something people care about? Is it something new and special? Is it news? It, it, should it make the news or is it, is it, is it something that you're just really passionate about, but nobody else really cares about? And that's where a lot of people fall is they think their invention is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And they, you know, they, their sense of reality is just so far off because they're just so wrapped up in their product and, and they, they just don't see it for what it really is. So I think that's really what it came down to for us is we created something that was newsworthy, something that people thought was really cool. Um, and I, I think that's part of it too is does your product excite people or does it put you to sleep? And so, you know, a padlock sounds like a really boring product. It's a stinking padlock. But when you can just open it without a key and if it's your phone that's opening it, wow, that is pretty cool. You know, suddenly you're looking for ways to use your pad, the padlock now. <laughs> That's right. It's magic. Is it wrong for is it wrong for me to use it on my kids? <laughs> yeah. no. I'll leave I that. didn't say that. <laughs> uh, well, the way you describe passion projects and and uh, I mean it, it's true, and that's what I see a lot of of Kickstarter and uh, projects, and I think uh, just in mobile in general, I see a lot of projects that are me too that are the Instagram of this, the Facebook of that, you know, and, and those aren't innovative and those are not newsworthy. <clears throat> and that's why, you know, for, for me to bring a story like this, and I don't break news here, right? But what I do is I try to understand why, what the inspiration was behind it. And that's why something like the Noki resonated. We covered it on this week in location-based marketing because it is a proximity-based, Bluetooth-enabled lock. And that is it covers, you know, a gamut. Uh, everybody can see themselves using it. And, and uh, that, that's what really struck with me. I, I think I think Asif and I on the podcast, we'd like to say, why in the hell did we not think of this? And I think that's what's striking here is that the simple of simples, right, is the important things. And you never overlook the simple of simples. If you look at anything you use today, it can be disrupted. Now, it's got to be disrupted for the right reason and in the right way with the right design and the right team and the ability to manufacture and deliver on time and do everything like that in a cost that is acceptable to the consumer, right? And that's I think it. that that's, that's the package that's that you've it. done. No problem. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Piece of cake. Right? <laughs> and, and that doesn't happen. Right. All right, so where like so you can uh, the Kickstarter's done, but you can now pre-order uh, for a discounted uh, price, anyways, like that uh, for only for a little while. Uh, where should we send people to find more information and to order this product? So the easiest way to get there is go to our website fusedesigns.com, F-U-Z-D-E-S-I-G-N-S.com. Um, something more memorable is getnoki.com. Will take you. It currently takes you to Kickstarter. We'll, we'll probably transition that over to our website um, in time, but Enoki is spelled N-O-K-E. 
Yeah, I love it. I loved it all. And, and you know, Cameron, I, I really appreciate you uh, spending so much time with me. We're way over. But <laughs> what you guys are doing is so fascinating. I would love to be able to follow up with you in a couple of quarters to see how things are going, to see what your new products are as you release them. As I said, I don't break them, but I'm very interested in, in following up to see how things are going. Uh, but uh, $1.1 million in pre-orders to date for your company just in, in a year. It's astounding. And I can't wait to see what you come up with next. I'm going to jump over right now and I'm going to go and uh, put my money down on the Noki. Okay, sounds great. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, it's my pleasure. We've been speaking with Cameron Gibbs, who is the founder of Fuse Designs. Go to Fuse Designs, F-U-Z-D-E-S-I-G-N-S.com to pre-order the Noki and to find out what else they're up to. I thank Cameron for being on the show. Thank you, Cameron. Thank you, Rob. And I thank you guys out there listening, watching, wherever you might be, whatever you are doing. Thank you for watching this far into this episode. Please go and purchase this product. And uh, let actually let Cameron know that you heard about it from Untether.tv one way, shape, or form. I would appreciate that. We'll see you next time on Untether.tv. Thanks, Cameron. Thank you. See you later.